0: please take a seat well if i haven't had the chance of meeting you my name is john omquist welcome to the springs we're so glad you guys are here whether it's your first time and somebody dragged you along or your parents kind of made you show up something like that all the way to you've been one of the folks coming for five years now as the church has been moving along and getting after the same message what we're going to talk about today If you've been with us the past couple weeks, we've been working through a series called Sweeter Than Honey, where we've been just taking a look at God's Word and its impact on the life and the heart of a Christian. We finished that two weeks ago. I had a dear friend come teach last week. Man, if you missed it, please go back, listen to what my buddy Robert talked about. It's that whole theme of self-righteousness. It'll encourage you as it's already encouraged so many. But this week, I'm excited to say we are jumping into a whole new book of the bible so we don't have a drum roll sound in the background or else i would make it have one right but if there were a drum roll at the end of it we would all say first thessalonians ah. yeah you're pumped right yeah we got one clapper well hey all that to say is welcome where we are how long we'll be in this book of the bible i have no idea but all that to say is we're going to journey our way through first thessalonians and i'm glad you're here before we jump into that though. I want to share with you guys something that stood out to me recently. Anybody here like watching the X Games? Anybody ever watch that? Okay, like of interest. All right, half pipe of the Winter Olympics, snowboarding, anybody? Okay, we've got like three people. All right, we will have a watch party. Everybody else, good luck. You guys can go watch baseball, right? Love baseball. Not knocking that. All that to say is so X Games growing up, I, like a lot of folks, enjoyed extreme sports, liked watching it. I I haven't kept up with any of that stuff in a long time. If you don't know what X Games is, it's essentially, it's on a yearly basis, but it's the American Olympics, if you will, of extreme sports. So where it is that it comes together, it's skateboarding, biking, motocross, dirt rally cars, all that kind of stuff. My favorite event was the one I knew I'd never be able to participate in, and that's dirt bike freestyle. Parents let me own a dirt bike. Anybody get to have a dirt bike growing up? Okay, again, man, I'm just going to stop asking y'all's questions. I'm just really hoping for more. This is Texas, y'all. I feel like half of us should have dirt bikes. But all I have to say is my favorite one watching was freestyle motocross. There was a guy, Travis Pastrana. If you don't know Travis, he is a motocross racer, real famous through that. He jumps out of planes without parachutes. He's a big Red Bull sponsor, all that kind of stuff. I can remember years ago watching Travis on live television do a trick where I thought he was going to die. Literally, I thought he was going to die to where before he goes, he takes off. We'll show you a clip of it in just a second. They're talking about how Travis, even as he goes off of one jump, the the ramp he needs to land on. He's intentionally trying to go off of this one not as fast as he normally would because he's unsure about whether or not he'll land it. So if he goes a little slower off the ramp, what that means is where he lands, it's higher up on the ground. So it's a shorter distance to fall because the ramp goes down. The dirt up at the top is soft from the dirt at the ground. The announcers, and we won't show it in this part of the clip, but the announcers say he thinks he'll live if he falls on top. He thinks he'll die if he lands on the bottom of the ramp. So there's all this tension, all this going. He's going to do this huge trick. You guys check out this clip while Travis does something amazing. Here, you, you can go ahead and cut it here. So that clip, what you just saw, is one man, he was 24 years of age, he took a 250-pound motorcycle, and he flipped it backwards twice. It had never been done in history. Well, that may not be amazing to you. To me, as that announcer was talking about, if you're at home standing, I can literally remember I'm there standing. I don't know if Travis is going to make it. He's getting set for this ramp. He goes up. He starts to slow down on the second rotation, and I'm sitting there, and I'm terrified, and I'm scared. He hits it, and I'm screaming in my house saying, that's amazing extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. 250 pound motorcycle off of a ramp, the courage to do it, the willingness to do it on the world stage having never landed it before. It was one of those where I can remember thinking, I don't know where they're gonna go from here. What else can you do with a motorcycle, right? Then I caught a clip of the X Games last week, right? I'm gonna show you one more, it's real short. This is Tom Pages. He goes on, he wins X Metal Gold, or X Games Gold, excuse me, for an entire run, but his run started with this trick. Watch this clip, and then we'll go. You you can cut it here. (laughs) Yeah, see? (laughs) Wait, that just proved my point, okay? We all saw the double backflip, and even the announcers were like, you know, that was pretty nice, out of the gate. I liked how he took his hand off there. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, wait, that's amazing. How did he do that? Ten years ago, however long, the double backflip was extraordinary. It was the standard. It was the thing everybody was chasing after to see. It was something new. It set the tone. Last year, the guy, one, made it more difficult. And two, it was just his first trick out of the gate. What what shocked me is what was once extraordinary had become ordinary. Does that make sense? Like what was once extraordinary had become ordinary. And here's why I share that with you. The reason we're going to talk about the book, 1 Thessalonians, the reason we're going to jump in there is you're going to see today how there was extraordinary faithfulness at the beginning. But this group of people, much like I pray we hear the springs, the church, if you're a follower of Christ, what happened to you? That extraordinary faith at the beginning, over time, becomes ordinary. Sorry. You and I, we are called to pursue the extraordinary things of God, and in doing so, it becomes normal to our life. Here's why I think this matters. Well, Let's say you're here, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's why I think this talk is essential for you, and I need you to lean in, because for many of you, It would feel extraordinary. It would be extraordinary if this week, if this week, you found four times where you met with God through his word for 15 minutes. And it would be wonderful. And that is the next step for you. You come, you pray, go listen to our last talk on sweeter than honey. That would be an extraordinary thing. This week, for many of you, it would be extraordinary if even though the idea of evangelism sharing your faith with a stranger, it like makes you nervous and terrified. But you went out in public and you prayed, hey, God, would you give me a chance to talk to somebody? You, di- you didn't act on it. But you just prayed for the awareness to know about it. That would be extraordinary. What if some of you this week, when it came to your own money, your own resources, the same way money creeps in in the greed of your heart, the way it creeps in, in the greed of my heart, you thought through, what if I really trusted God enough to give? That would be extraordinary but what does God want in your life and what does he want in mine? Those extraordinary acts to become every day ordinary. Every day committing and spending time with God. Every day walking around saying, "Hey, hey, God, I'm here. Who would you have me engage with? Hey, God, my money is yours. I'm just a steward. I'm not gonna ask how much do I keep. I'm gonna ask how much can I give? Well, what if we really did that? we would come and we would build a place like the church in 1 Thessalonians, the church of Thessalonica. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, here's why I think this matters for you. Even before I was a follower of Christ, that happened for me about seven years ago. Even before, I always had a desire to be a part of something extraordinary. Always had a desire to be a part of something that changed the world. Here's what I'm gonna tell you. A man's faithfulness started it A people's faithfulness continued it. And because of those extraordinary moments, there's an extraordinary thing today called the church. And there really is a God in heaven who uses it to change lives. You wanna be a part of something extraordinary, you come give your life away for the one who loves you most. This matters for us. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna walk through 1 Thessalonians verse 1 chapter one. But in order to get there, we got to go study 10 chapters of the book of Acts. So if you got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts 17. Turn to Acts 17. We're going to break out the text into two sections. First thing we're going to talk about is who God calls us to be, who God calls us to be. The second thing we're going to talk about is what God calls us to do, who God calls us to be, and then what God calls us to to do. But before we do that, I want to set up for you guys kind of the context. Here's, here's where we are in this. If you don't know, the book of uh, Thessalonians, there's first and second. It was written by the apostle Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul's likely the primary writer, but they wrote it together. Paul was a big-time church leader. we call him an apostle. He was a uniquely gifted man to go and carry out this message in a way that changed the world for all of us. The book of Acts that we're going to turn to today, it outlines much of, others too, but much of what God did through him to expand the Christian faith to the world. And we're going to zoom in on this church in Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica, to set that up, let let me show you guys an image about how the Apostle Paul, he gets there. We'll show you guys, uh, well, we'll see if we can pull it up. All that to say, okay, right here. So the Apostle Paul Throughout the book of Acts, you see him go on three missionary journeys. So he just takes a trip, walking around, telling people about Jesus. That's all I mean by missionary journey. During the second one, he does that. He starts right in the right-hand side. You see there, Antioch. And then he travels all the way up into Europe. And you see in Greece, the top left, Thessalonica. Let's zoom in on Thessalonica. So this is his route. This is where he's been. Thessalonica, you see it right there, it's right alongside the Aegean Sea, so it's a seaport. It was a very well-to-do city. The other thing it had is there was a road called the Ignatian Way, the Ignatian Way. It was a footpath that went from Rome to the east. The east meaning it was a trade route. It's where commerce went, it's where people traveled. Both of those paths crossed right here at Thessalonica. Thessalonica, it was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. So don't think small town, think Los Angeles, okay? Don't think small, think big. The other thing it had going for it is about 75 miles from Mount Olympus. Anybody study Greek mythology in school growing up? Yeah, Mount Olympus, Greek gods coming down. So you could literally see the mountainside there where all forms of pagan deities, different gods, different views of God were worshiped. So this city had all different thoughts All different views of God, all different expressions, what to believe, how to believe, all different types of worship. And Paul said, hey, God has sent me to you. That's to set up where we are. He's on a second missionary journey. There was a Jewish group there, and Paul's going to do what he's always going to do. He's going to come into the Jews, and he's going to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to everybody through them. That's where we pick it up, Acts 17. Read with me. We're going to go verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4. Now, when they had passed through, Emma, hold on. I'm going to mispronounce it, but I'm going to try and get it right. Annunciate Emma Folis, amphibian. I've said this like four times because I knew this moment was going to happen. Thank you. I don't know if that was right, but it sounded right. So we're going to go with that, okay? And Apollonia. So those two cities, you'll see them. They're on the way, well, from the map there. They're on the way from Philippi. Acts 16, he's in Philippi. He's taken three different, basically 30-mile hikes, where he's come from Philippi, Book of Philippians, all the way then to Thessalonica. So that's how he's gotten here. He's just walked Paul and Silas. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, he went in as was his custom. I love that. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. People thought the Messiah, the coming king, he wouldn't come to suffer and die on behalf of the people. He would come as a conqueror. He wouldn't ride in on a donkey. He would ride in on a stallion, like a military military victory. And Paul's saying, no. He came out of love to suffer and die for you you and for me. And saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you, he is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Here's my first idea out of this. Here's the first idea, Acts 17, 1 through 4. We must look at who God is calls us to be, who God calls us to be. And the way I want us to think about it is examining the life of the apostle Paul, this missionary, this sent out one. God had given to him the ministry he's given to you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Go, tell the world. There's three ways I want us to think about it. The first is, what was Paul's mission? Second, what was his method? And the third, the missionaries that came from it. The missionaries that came from it. So if you brought a pen and paper, track with this, okay? The first is his mission. What was his goal? He came explaining and proving what? That it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. What's amazing is what happened to Paul right before this. So if you remember, we connected the dots Philippi. It's just another town. Don't worry about it if you don't remember. Here's what happened to Paul in Philippi. Paul came, and he was doing the same thing. He was telling people about the love of Jesus Christ. This is just a chapter before, likely four days before, depending on how fast he walked, maybe a week. He'd gone, and there was this uh, gal who was in slavery, and she had an evil spirit inside of her. Her masters were exploiting and taking advantage of her, They were basically going and using this evil spirit as a form of divination and making money off of it. Paul sees this. He calls the demon out of the gal, sets her free. The the, the owners get so upset, so frustrated, they come and they say to the local magistrates there, hey, this guy just took money. This guy just took from my property. Y'all hear that? And then here's what the local magistrates do. Leadership matters. They take him, they put him in jail. They take him, they put him in jail after they beat him. Lewis says they took rods, and they just beat him. So he goes, taking a beating, after having helped set a girl free, sits in jail, and in the text in Acts 16, I wish we had more time, it talks about at midnight, he starts to sing of God. He starts praising from jail. Paul knew his mission. What was his mission? To tell the world about the love of Jesus Christ by any means necessary, no matter the cost, on behalf of whomever. The slave girl, the slave owner, the jailer. God, God, he sends this earthquake to where all of a sudden the prison breaks open. Both the shackles are set free and the doors come open. And what does Paul do? He looks at the prison and says, hey, wait, wait. The jailer, the one who was there, he knew if they'd escaped, he was just gonna kill himself. Why? Because they'd kill him for letting him go. And Paul, before he goes to take his life, he stays his hand and he says, don't do it, man, don't do it. That jailer looks at Paul and he says, hey, what must I do to be saved? Why would you, a prisoner, wait on behalf of a jailer to tell me good news? Why would you suffer? Why would you be on mission here? Who sings in prison? What does Paul do? Paul tells him the same thing he's telling the church in Thessalonica, the same thing he's telling you and me. All you must do is believe. We all we were sinners, separated from God because of what we did, but God doesn't want that separation to exist again between the slave girl, the slave owner, the jailer, or the missionary to be. All you must do to be reconciled is believe. Christ, he's the Messiah. Christ, he died for your sins. Christ. He rose from the dead. It's all true. Paul knew his mission. He knew his mission. The second thing, what was his method? We we should do a whole sermon series on this, but we'll come back another time. What was his method? So jump back. We're in Acts 17. Look with me. We're going to go two through three. And Paul went in. Paul went in. Here's what I'm talking, church. We here in New Bromfels when it comes to the mission we've been sent, you have a purpose, a mission, and a calling. It's to tell the world about Jesus Christ and to fall more in love with him as you do it. That's not just true for me because I stand up on the stage. It's true for you. God wants to use you just as much as God wants to use me. I'm just another brother trying to make it. Paul went in. For many of us, the way we engage New Braunfels, Shirts, Bolverde, Seguin, wherever. We got to take the steps of faithfulness. We got to show up for the difficult moments. When you're at the, the mom's play day and all of a sudden the conversation drifts in a direction that it shouldn't go, we go in by trying to take it another way, by trying to say, hey, what if, by trying to shut down gossip. For many of us, even our own community groups, The place we need to go is initiating to going in to one, showing up, committing to them in the first place, and two, we go in every time you go to a restaurant and you have the opportunity to engage with a server and you get to share hope. There's a gal in this body who is a server, and last week I got to hear her talk about how Jesus Christ had set her free. You know how that started? Somebody just invited her to a Bible study while she was serving tables at Krause's. You gotta go. Your method is you gotta go. You gotta initiate. There's courage there, and I get that. That can be terrifying. But you must go. What does he do next? As was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scripture. The second part of our method is we are called to reason. What is reason? It just means dialogue. This isn't Paul giving a sermon. This is Paul sitting down and having a discussion. He's showing them, I believe, two things. One from the Old Testament. Here's how Christ, it was prophesied, he would raise from the dead. And the second thing, I really do believe Paul sat there and he just said, I hated hated Jesus. I killed his followers. I wanted nothing to do with him. I thought it was foolish. I thought it was evil and I thought it was wrong and I was wrong, and he had mercy on a man like me. I must reason with you because the scriptures say God is always merciful on those who call. He reasoned with the church. When was the last time you sincerely reasoned with someone on behalf of Christ? Where he said it's true, not only is it true from scripture, but it's true in my life. He goes on three more things explaining and proving. There's a thoughtfulness to the Christian faith to where there are good questions and there are great answers. We as Christians, we have a responsibility to be students of God's word, to be students of how do you rightly to give a defense of the hope that you have within you. Explaining and proving, giving evidence for. And then the final one, That it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, I I love this sentiment. I really do. Um, you, You may have heard this a lot. Hey, I'm just more of a relational person. So the way I share my faith, it's through relationship, it's through action. I'm much more nervous. I don't really verbalize or speak. God has given you a personality that's made in his image, God has given you gifts. Some people, I I don't deny, there's a greater sense of fear in talking about it with others. I, I, I don't deny that, but what I'm telling you is you're commanded to say it. You are called to love indeed. And then when they say, hey, why is this different? You're called to tell them it's because of Jesus. You're called to share that truth. What is our method, right? Paul, he went in. We just gotta go. We gotta show up. You gotta engage, you gotta lean in to the moment. Right? We gotta reason. We got a dialogue. We gotta have an open discussion about it. We should all have, and I'm honestly I'm working on this, I'm newer in town, but no excuse, I'm working on this. And if you're a non-believer, I, I need your I wanna be your friend because of this. We should all have at least four to five non-believing friends who totally love and respect us who totally get, we, we come from a different place, a different perspective, but when they're looking for someone to go eat dinner with, when they're looking for someone to go see a movie with, they call us in the same way we call them. Why? Because, man, you know they'd call Jesus, even if they disagreed. We are called to go. And what does God do with that? What does God do with that? Look at this next sentence, the last one. The mission, the method, and the missionaries it creates And some of them, God's in charge of that, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul in silence, as did a great many of the devout Greeks. That just means God-fearing Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Here's what's amazing. God right there crosses diversity boundaries that nobody wanted to cross then. Jew, Greek. Women, men. And that message sets everybody free. It sets everybody free. Church, who are you called to be? You're called to be one who in response to a love from Jesus Christ, who having his spirit within you, you you're called to live on mission. Your life is not for you. It is meant to be poured out on behalf of others. You are called to use whatever, whatever method works for you. But I'm telling you, you got to show up. you got to tell them what's true in your life. you got to live in both word and in deed. Sadly, a life like that, sadly, a life like that would look like extraordinary Christianity here in New Braunfels. It would look like extraordinary Christianity where people would say, whoa, whoa, hey, I, I love Jesus too. Whoa, whoa, you got to settle down. You're being a little too much. If you haven't gotten that talk ever, you're probably not getting this. You you gotta pump the brakes a little. And here's what I'm telling you. Don't pump the brakes. Be humble. Be gracious. Be gentle. Don't ever be a jerk on behalf of Jesus. But you gotta go. You gotta tell the world. Cole announced it during the announcements. Next week, we're gonna be doing baptism. Baptism, one, I wish we had a baptistry here. But besides all that, that is one of my favorite times, and it should be one of yours too, church. Why? Because you come and you get to celebrate what Jesus is doing to change lives. I had the chance, we were talking with some gals who were thinking through the role of baptism. We're thinking through, hey, is this the right thing for me? I'll I'll let them share their stories, right? I'll let them come and proclaim, because that's all baptism is. I'll let them do that. But the part that stood out to me Is we stopped to talk and we thought through. Hey, what's the role of baptism in your life? They asked me two questions generally. Two questions generally. The first one. The first one. They said, "Hey, Jesus, he's changed my life. I'm different." And these aren't children, by the way. These are these are women. These are adults. The gospel isn't just for kids. That's not the only time someone can come to Christ. That's a total another fallacy. That you don't see that in New Testament. Adults should come to Christ all the time just as kids should. But you saw these gals, they asked the question of, hey, he's changed my life, but I don't have it all together. I haven't fully really arrived. I don't know if I'm doing it all right. doesn't matter, man. you got to tell the world. Why? Nobody's got it all together. Nobody's got it all right. You're coming and proclaiming he's loved you despite it. And the second thing they said is, but what if I don't know how to tell them? What if I don't know how to share? What if I don't know how to dialogue? What if I don't know how to reason? What if I don't know how to explain? What if I don't know how to say it? Here's what I told them. As a local body, we bear a responsibility to help them think through that, to equip them. As a local body, we want to equip you, Christian, to tell your story. We want to equip you to share. May the redeemed of the Lord say so. But also, there's this beautiful truth that has always been a comfort to me, we're not gonna turn there. In John 19, Jesus heals a blind man. People come and they question the blind man. What did he do? How did he do it? What does this mean for you? Where do you go from here? And the blind man gives the most beautiful testimony. Beautiful testimony. He basically says, I have no idea. But here's what I can tell you. I was blind, but now I see. Church, who are we called to be? We are called to be people who go into everywhere, go to the PTA meetings, who, who go to the carpool lines, who go to the soccer practice, who, who go to uh, the restaurant following church, to Rudy's, to H-E-B, to Cravings, to pick whatever other restaurant you eat around here. And we are called to be people who share and who live out. I was blind and now I see. Let's keep going. We're gonna read now uh, verses five through 10, verses 5 through 10. But the Jews, so, so these are a separate set of Jews, they were jealous. And taking some wicked men of rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. We'll talk about Jason in a second. Seeking to bring them out of the crowd, talking about Paul and Silas. And then when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason, this guy, he received him. He gave him housing. And they are acting against the decrees and authorities and were disturbing. Oh, and saying there's another king, Jesus. You get it? So the Jews felt threatened because they were losing authority in the community. So they went to the local magistrates. The local authority was technically a free city there, but they went there to these local leaders. And they said, hey, "Hey, you guys! You guys care about Rome. We're a Roman providence. They're saying Jesus is king. I thought Caesar's king. Do you think they care? They don't even like Caesar. No, they're just trying to silence Paul. They're trying to silence what Christ is doing. And they go and they take him before, and they accuse him of these men have turned the world upside down. They've made a disturbance, and the people in the cities they were disturbed when they heard these things." And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So, Jason, he was likely the guy that housed Paul and Silas. He essentially post bond. He goes to them, he says, Hey, hey, you take this cash. I'll go tell Paul and Silas they got to go. Right? Don't kill them. Don't, don't do it anymore. Take the cash. I'm going to go tell them they got to go. Verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Here's a beautiful part before we jump into that. They've gone from prison to again enduring persecution where there's an entire mob in an uproar looking for them. And they're sent out by night. Why? So they don't try to kill them. And what do they do in the next town? They hit repeat. There's a mission with a method. Why? Because God wants to raise up missionaries. But as for this part, verses 5 through 10, here's the second thing you've got to see. I'm going to pull out one principle. The second thing we got to see is what God calls us to do. What God calls us to do. My my hope is that as you read through this text, there was one part that really popped out to you in the same way the irony in the statement they didn't even understand. It was the part where they go and they accuse Paul and Silas, and they say about them, these men have turned the world up. Side, down, and it says, and they were disturbed by it. Church, your mission, your mission is to turn the world upside down. If you're a student at New Braunfels High School, guess what your job is—to change that school entirely on behalf of Jesus Christ. If you're a college student and you're working this summer, and you're here hanging out, here's what your job is to change the camp, the job, the retail store, the environment, the office for Christ. Turn it upside down, church. Our job is to turn the world upside down, and it's because of God's spirit within us that we're even able to do it. There's nothing shorter. Your life is not meant to be, okay, hopefully, you know, I'm going to get a, I'll go to college so I can get a, get a good job so I can get a wife, have enough money to, to buy a house, get some kids. But then I really want to care for my kids well, raise, raise them pretty much morally right. I want to, I want to make sure as long as they don't go to jail, then I probably did a fairly decent job. Make sure they go to college. Why? So they can get kids so that they can get married, so they can have the job. Oh, hey, all the while, I need to save enough money so I can hopefully retire uh, to Port A. I'm telling you, that's not why you're here. You are here to turn the world upside down. Why? Because that is what Jesus Christ has done on behalf of you. You were once the one who led the crowd, the mob. You were the one disturbed at him, and yet he came. Yet he died for every wrong thing you've ever done. He died for every wrong thing I have ever done. He sets you free so that you can go and set others free. I can remember, I started thinking about this. um, I trusted Christ about a year later. I had the chance. I went on a discipleship trip to Africa. The whole time, all you did while we were there is you just walked around. You partnered with church planners in little little churches in these communities. And you'd walk from town to town in the mountainside of Ethiopia. It was beautiful. And you would just tell people about your faith. They had a, a tool that they would use to help you do that. Because again, there's a language barrier. We had interpreters. But so much of that, a lot of people were visual. I'm visual. And they gave us something called an Evangicube. Anybody ever heard of an Evangicube? Okay. Well, I tried to find mine. I couldn't. I'm going to show you all a picture of one, though, uh, if we got it. So it's this cheesy... Christian quasi-Rubik's cube looking thing. Right? And if you own one or you made it, no disrespect, but it's true. You should know that. We need a renovation of the design. But all that to say is, all that to say, it's this cube where all it does is it helps you walk through the story of the gospel. There's God in heaven who loves you. But you and I would choose to go our own way. It creates a separation. That separation is called sin, it's darkness darkness cannot be with light but god does not want the darkness to separate us so he sent his son to bridge the gap between us and you open the cube and you turn it and then you show jesus right here on the cross again i wish i had one show him on the cross and this is where you're explaining the story and then jesus christ he died for our sin he was placed in the tomb and then you turn the cube back and you see jesus christ in the tomb and the stone was there the people they come they pasted the stone closed they know they couldn't just get stolen and they turn it again and boom it's an empty tomb it's an empty tomb. And on the top side, there's this picture of heaven. It's beautiful. It's bright. And on the bottom, there was darkness there was, without void. And there's this picture at the end of, hey, what would you like to choose? What would you like to believe? I can remember I was trained in how to share the gospel through using this evangelicube. cube. And I can remember thinking, Oh, man even using this, if I were to use this in American society, I'd be so, it, it was like disturbing to me, the idea of at the end of this, there's literally this choice. There is in you the way of righteousness and a way of death. It is within me too. And I can remember seeing this and telling my little small group leader, saying, I'm not gonna use that. She looked at me like, Why not? And she said, because that's disturbing. Like, I've never been a big brimstone and fire kind of guy. It's just not my personality. I believe you get more bees with honey. But here's what I'm telling you. God is just. And judgment does await those who do not believe in him. And that judgment is eternal separation in hell. There's no second chance. There's no purgatory. There's no way back apart from faith. I can remember... That was disturbing, even to me. And I was a believer. Here's what I'm telling you. As you go out to share this, what God calls you to do to turn the world upside down, don't be surprised. Do it with grace. Do it with love. But don't be surprised if people say to you, wait, that sounds so exclusive. It is. But he invites everyone in. So it's like the most exclusive party with an all-invite come, come, come. You've been marked by love. You've been marked by gentleness. Don't let him ever call you a jerk for anything other than I disagree with the truth. What we're called to do is turn the world upside down with a message that's turned our lives upside down. It's the same thing. That's the end of Paul's time in Thessalonica. He goes He runs to Berea. Berea becomes a town where they receive the word, and they search the things to see if it was so. And here's what happens. Paul continues on his second missionary journey. And if you got your Bible, you can turn with me now. We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians uh, 1, chapter 1. He continues on. We're in that second journey. He ends up in a church, a town called Corinth. He's in Corinth for about a year and a half Right? So you got to remember, it's probably about a year later. He's been kicked out of Thessalonica. He's gone on to Corinth. He had a buddy, Timothy. His buddy, Timothy, stayed behind. Timothy comes from Thessalonica, and he brings this report to Paul of how the church is doing. Paul gets that report, and in response to that report, he's going to write this letter. And this letter, what he's going to do is he's going to celebrate how? To us, what was moments of extraordinary faithfulness on behalf of Paul? He walked straight to the center. He went in, he reasoned, he shared, he said, he proved it was true. What sounds extraordinary to this church has become ordinary. They've been getting after it. The first three chapters, he's just gonna celebrate their faithfulness. The final two chapters, he's gonna do what all faithful people do. He's going to remind them, how can we excel still more? We have never arrived as Christians. We are never good enough as Christians apart from the grace of God in our lives. There's always room to keep going. And hearing this report, he's going to write this letter, and he's going to start it just like this. Paul, Silvanus, that's Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, The Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. He's writing to people he fled from in the night. And he'll start grace and peace as he's writing. And then as we come back in the next weeks, here's what we're going to learn. He's going to give thanks for their faithfulness. He's going to give thanks. Springs, here's why we're reading this. By the grace of God, this room needs to be a group of people who've been changed, who really have come to see, I was washed, white as snow, but stained like crimson. And he freed me. And in response to that, I'm not going to waste my life. I'm not going to waste my time in New Braunfels and shirts and Seguin, Bolverde, San Marcos. I'm not going to waste any of it. I'm going to live for you, Jesus. Would you help me to do that. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to grow. And if I don't know how, I'll have the humility to ask for help. We must be a people who, by the grace of God, have extraordinary faith. Why? Because my prayer is in 10 years, wherever the springs is, that that extraordinary faith of today is just ordinary for them. Now. You want to transform a town, it starts through us. It starts with you and I realizing our role our position and the privilege to do it. We must remember who he calls us to be. And we must remember what he calls us to do. So this week, here's the one uh, application out of all of this. You, you can take this so many different ways. Here's the one thing I want to do. There's language, I pray, that takes root here at the Springs. It's this language. Find the one find the one where this week, I'm challenging everybody. If you're, if you're not a Christian, don't pay attention to this. But if you are, even if you don't go here, go do this at your other home church. Find the one. Find one person. You go out of your way to love the way Christ has loved you. And if you so can, tell them about how Christ has loved you. And the easiest invite should be Like Sunday morning church, this environment right here, we try to do a good job of making this a place where even if you don't believe in Jesus, you can come here and be comfortable. But still, Sunday morning, it can be off-putting. Next Sunday with Baptism Sunday, that should be the easiest invite for a non-believer in the world. So the neighbor you've been thinking about who to invite, when to invite, where to invite, there's no regular sermon. All there will be is people coming and saying, I don't have it all together. I don't even always know how to say it. I'm completely imperfect, but he really did change me. It's true. And I'm here to tell the world, invite him to that. Find the one. I got to see this uh, recently in an amazing way, right? Because when you hear the idea of, hey, we are called to turn the world upside down, when you hear that idea oftentimes what you think is it's this massive monumental civilization changing effort like for those of you know william wilberforce right the abolition of the slave trade in england it started through a christian martin luther king the civil rights uh watch and and just fighting against the sin of racism these amazing momentous moments where christians got after it hear me say god can totally do that he wants to transform the country, and the world, and he's looking for people who are faithful. I pray he uses you. He can. Pray big. But it's also simple faithfulness. It's also just daily, ordinary obedience. My parents came to town a couple weeks ago, and they were hanging out. Uh, It was their last day. It was a Friday morning, and uh, they had a flight heading out of town right about noon. The flight was heading out at noon. Uh, I I love, if you've ever been there, Fork and Spoon, great breakfast spot. So I wanted to go eat some breakfast with them before they go, get on the plane. Great excuse to hang out. We had to take two cars because there wasn't, with all the luggage, enough seating in my wife's car. So we took two cars. We're driving on our way there. As we're driving on our way there, there's a gal on the side of the road, right? She's got suitcases. She's got two daughters with her. It looks like she's waiting for a cab, right? I keep going. We drive on. Taylor's in front of me. We're just about to pull into the parking lot. If you don't know where that is, it's right by Alamont Draft House. All of a sudden, my phone rings. It's my wife. And she says to me, hey, John. John, did you see that gal back there? I said, yeah, I saw her. Hey, I think she needs help. And I'm thinking, no, fork and spoon is right there. I need to eat, (laughs) right? She said, hey, I think she needs help. I said, no, sweetheart, I think she's waiting on a cab. John, that didn't look like a woman waiting on a cab. And my wife, here's what led to. Her ordinary faithfulness led to how do we turn the car around? How do we go and she lead us in a way to where we get connected with that gal? Here's what happened after that. There's a member of our body, a friend who I know has a heart who can really help serve people in transition, trying to find their way in and out. I picked up the phone. It's Friday. It's like 11. And I just call her. And I say, hey, I'm new to town. Can you help me think through what are the best ways to care for somebody who's in transition? Because it turns out she was. That was her first day trying to figure out what it meant to be homeless. I said, hey, can you help me? She says, well, hey, I'm at work, but absolutely bring her over. She lets me interrupt her at work. She calls her boss. Her boss gives her permission. That's extraordinary faithfulness. They turn the car. It's extraordinary faithfulness. Say, yes, you can interrupt me at work. I'm going to double check with my boss, but come on. If I can be helpful, I want to be helpful. If I can be used, I want to be used. She comes. She talks through options. We got her connected. We got her connected to a ministry. Many of you have gone. And simply spent time, given rides, hung out, restored dignity in relationship. It's not just this family, but to many. That's extraordinary faithfulness. You've sacrificed your time and your money. Now, this family, it's not always easy for anyone. And their story is just like my story. Their story is just like anybody's story. They're in a place where they're working through faith, wrestling with God on what to do Next but because of those simple moments where other people were faithful, because of those simple, extraordinary moments where they reminded me this is what it looks like. That gal, she's come. She's getting connected, she's being discipled. She's found her way into a place. She's right now in the process of getting connected to housing. Is it all roses? No, she wouldn't want me to act like it is. But I'll tell you what, she is wrestling through faith in a new way. You know how you turn the world upside down? We be people who turn the car around. We'd be people who say, yeah, you can interrupt me at work. We'd be people who say, yes, I I had lunch plans. I'll change them. I'd love to go. Why? Because they should be loved in the way I have been loved. And we do that with everybody. It doesn't matter if they're in transition looking for housing or if they own the nicest house in the county. You love, you serve, you tell them the truth of what he's done for you. And we will change this city. Why? Because Christians, we have a mission. And our mission is that everyone would know the love and the kindness of Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. Don't settle for the good retirement account, the nice house with the multiple kids that never went to jail. And if they did, don't worry about it. I'll spend a night. Go for something bigger. Because may our extraordinary faith, as we'll see through this book, Be nothing but ordinary to the generation behind us. That is what God wants. He loves when he's glorified. Let me pray. We'll get out of here. Father, I do. I thank you for that idea. I thank you for it resonating in my heart. May I be a man who only because of you, who only because your spirit within me never wants to settle for anything less than turn the world upside down down? Would you give us insight in how to do that? Would you give us courage to do it in the little things? Would you help us to share? Would you help us to tell? Would you help us to invite? And always point them to you. I need your help to do that. We need your help to do that. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Amen. Hey, y'all, thank you guys for coming. We'll hopefully uh, come join us next week, man, while we baptize people. It should be a really fun party. But you guys go. Y'all have a great week of worship.